what I want to do is jump right into Genesis 15. And I want to read this whole chapter to you, and I'd invite you to follow along in your copies of the Bible or on the screen. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you... You shall go down to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set, there was a very dark, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, and the Kenizzite, and the Cadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. 22 years ago, I sat in a seminary classroom, and I still hear the sound of Dr. Frank Kick. And he admonished us, and he said, the world is dying. Men and women are lost. And what are you going to preach on Sunday about the Hittite and the Amorite and the Jebusite? They don't care. And so I finish a passage that talks about Jebusites and Hittites and Amorites. 
and I don't care about them, but I care about you. And I care about my heart. And what I'm asking the Father to do in the next 30 minutes or so is to help us see the glory and the wonder of Jesus who has saved us. This week, this week I had a conversation with someone and, and I, I was misunderstood and, and I misunderstood the other person and my mind raced I wasted so much mental bandwidth after that conversation. This week in my home, there were arguments and fights and disagreements. There were raised voices and frustrated hearts. In other words, I'm still a big sinner and I'm still in need of a big savior. And we look out there in the world, you know, those people, and it's so easy to see, oh, our world is going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, isn't it awful? Isn't it terrible? And what our world needs, what our world is desperate for, is for the church to rise up and to say, there is a savior. His name is Jesus. And to embody and become the gospel, not just to believe the gospel, but to become the gospel in front of the world so that they might see. And what will that mean? It'll mean weakness and it'll mean suffering and it'll mean difficulty and it'll mean trial. And it'll mean identifying with the hurting and the helpless. It'll mean identifying with the people who are persecuted. It'll mean identifying with those who are treated unjustly. It will be hard, but the gospel is worth it. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us this, and here's what I want you to leave knowing this morning. Salvation is not a partnership. Salvation is not a partnership. What my heart needs to know. Listen, when, when you get home at the end of the day and you walk in and your kids have destroyed the house and there's toys everywhere and you say to your spouse, what have you been doing with these kids all day? And that doesn't go well for you. If salvation is a partnership, then you better run and go find your copy of Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, and you better dust it off, and you better reread it, and you better get busy trying to do better and try harder as a husband. But if salvation is not a partnership, then you have the opportunity to fall in your face before God and, and to acknowledge how deeply selfish you really are on the inside. How easy it is to, for you to put you first. Listen, if salvation is not a partnership, then it is easy. If salvation is a partnership, it's easy for us to look out at all the sins of other people and to point them out one after another. But if salvation is not a partnership, 
then we have every reason to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt us at the proper time. And along with us, the message of salvation that he has entrusted to us. Salvation is not a partnership. From beginning to end, Christianity says that the gospel is true. It is Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. From eternity past, when God set his electing love upon his church, to eternity future, when we will see the glory of Jesus face to face and worship him on a new earth forever. From eternity past to eternity future, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is not a partnership. My acceptance with God is a gift. It is not a partnership. It has been done for me by Jesus Christ. My adoption into God's forever family is not a partnership. It is done for me through the righteousness of Christ credited to me through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit given to me from the Father that cries out, Abba, Father. My transformation is not a partnership. It is a work of God in me by which I am enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. It's not a partnership. And my glorification one day, the consummation of a new earth when I will behold God and Jesus Christ, his son, with the spirit, I will be transformed forever. And that is not a work that I contribute to. It is a work of God alone from beginning to end. Salvation is not a partnership. So what is this salvation? What is this salvation that Abram discovers? It's Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus tells us what Abram saw in his vision. It was Jesus himself. John chapter 8, verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Oh, that, that we might glorify God the Father through Jesus. You've not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Jesus goes on and he says in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Jesus was there in Genesis 15. In fact, the word of the Lord that came to Abram in verse 1 was Jesus. He rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abram was born, I am. Jesus. Jesus is the subject of Genesis 15. Jesus is what is revealed in Genesis 15. It is one of the greatest presentations of the gospel in the Old Testament, and I want to show it to you. So what is this salvation? 
What is this salvation that we have received by grace through faith? Verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. What is the gospel? What is the good news? The gospel is God himself offered to us. Salvation is God the Father revealing himself in his love. God the Son giving himself in humility and the Holy Spirit giving us the love of the Father with the Son. Salvation is God himself coming near to us in the person of Jesus. God says, I am your shield. I am your shield. The word of the Lord came to Abram. God appeared to him in this vision. The glory of the gospel. Salvation is this. God reveals himself to us. We get to know God. Forgiven? Yes. Gratefully. Righteous? Yes. But the greatest gift of salvation is eternal life to know the Father. To know the Father. Jesus prayed in John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is salvation? It is to know God. Do you know him? It's easy to say, I know about him. It's easy to read in the Bible and say, I've learned some facts. But do you know God? Are you a person who can walk out of this auditorium today and say, yes, I know God. He has revealed himself to me deep inside of me. I know that I know that I know the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said, I am your shield. See, religion says that you can make your own shield. The world out there is bad, but you're pretty good. And what you need is just to keep yourself from evil by building up a shield. And there's something in our sinful hearts that wants to buy into that idea. We want to collect all of our shields. We want to post pictures of them on Pinterest. Look at my beautiful shields. Look at how well I'm doing at, at protecting myself from all those evil people. We want to post YouTube videos about how we have developed the perfect strategy for constructing shields to preserve our lives against the evils of the world. We want to share videos of Facebook. Look at this wonderful indigenous man. He's going to build a shield out of clay in the middle of the jungle. It's incredible. I can't believe it. And you know what? God says, your shields are nothing. Because the problem isn't outside of you. The problem is inside of you. And if you are going to have a shield, it better be me giving it to you. Salvation comes from above. It comes from God saying to you, I am your 
shield. A shield from what? What are we saved from? Why do we need this salvation that comes as a gift? God says, Abram, do not fear. Fear what? Abram fears because he's in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. God shields Abram from himself. God shields Abram from his own holy wrath. God shields Abram. We are saved by God, for God, but we are saved from God. A holy God's just and right judgment against me and against all who have sinned against him is death. Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. But the free gift of God is eternal life. How does it come? It doesn't come through moral improvement. It doesn't come by trying harder. It doesn't come other than God making a shield for us against his wrath. And that shield was his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stepped in the gap between a holy God and sinful humanity, and he took upon himself the full and awful penalty that our sins deserved. Jesus Christ is our shield from the justice and wrath of a holy God. Jesus Christ on the cross did for us what we could never do for ourselves. It was either going to be the wrath of God upon us for eternity or the wrath of God upon his son on Calvary. It's either going to be eternal punishment for you or punishment for Jesus in your place. Which will it be for you? Will you see your shield in Jesus? Will you run to your shield in Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, or verse 21 says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Imagine that, that this daytimer pictures my life, represents my life, and in the pages of this daytimer are written all the things that I have done. Not just my appointments, but all the things that I have thought and all the things that I have said and all the things that I've left undone. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that would be a record of sin. And the Bible says that that sin separates me from a holy, holy, holy God. And I can say, God, I know what I'll do. I'll rebuild my shield. I'll turn over a new leaf. We could say, God, I know what I'll do. I'll build my own shield. I'll turn my life around. But what has it done with my sin? Has it taken it away? No. Try as I might, I cannot remove my sin from myself on my own. I need a substitute. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
God took all of my sin and he placed upon his son on the cross. And Jesus paid the penalty for sin there. Sin given to Christ and Christ's righteousness given to his church. That's the shield. The cross of Jesus. Are you covered under the shield of Christ? Are you in Christ, sheltered from the wrath of a holy, holy, holy God? If you aren't, you can be. And if you are, here's how to know that you are. Abram shows us the answer to the question, how can we receive so great a salvation? A salvation that is not a partnership, but from beginning to end is done for us. How do we receive it? We receive it by faith. Verse 6, Abram believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. How do I receive that record of righteousness that Jesus accomplished for me? I receive it by faith. Abram asked God a question. It's in uh, verse, help me, Dottie, because there we go. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? What will you give me? Not what will I give you? The Christian life is a received life. It isn't an achieved life. Christianity is what God gives us, not what we give God. It's received. It's not achieved. And so Abram received. He trusted. He believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned. It was credited. It was transferred to his account. What? All the riches of righteousness that he needed to have assurance of eternal life. How do we receive it? By faith. By faith. Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abram, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abram was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. It's not by works. You can't try harder. You can't do better. You have a record of sin that separates you from God. You've inherited it, and now you've perfected it in your own unique way. You cannot boast before God in your own goodness. You have none, and neither do I. But, verse 6, or verse 3, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Abram's reward was indeed great. His reward through faith was righteousness. Full standing before God, acceptance, access to God and everything good, both now and forever. And so Paul picks this theme up again in Galatians, this time speaking to the Gentiles. 
Even so, Abram believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Verse 8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. How do we receive the blessing of God? How are we joined to Abram by faith and found in Christ? How do we enter into that life by faith? And there will come a time in everyone's life, sometimes in life through suffering and sometimes in the days leading up to death, when you know that the finality and certainty of life after death is coming, and it's coming for every single one of us. None of us are getting out of this deal alive. You will die. And after that will come judgment. What will you do in that time? What will you do when suffering comes? What will you do when danger comes? What will you do? Martin Luther said it will come for every single one of us. And so it is the job of the church. It is the job of ministers of the gospel to proclaim again and again and again and again the gospel of grace. That salvation is not a partnership. And you ought to thank God every day that you have a pastor who preaches the gospel to you because you all need it. God told me. The reason I know you need it is because I need it. I need it. And then the question, the last question that Abram answers is how can I know? How can I know? I mean deep, deep, deep down. How can I know? How can my faith be plunged to bedrock so that no matter what comes my way, I know that I know that I know. How can I know? Verse 8, Oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Your heart needs certainty. Your heart longs for certainty that you know that you have eternal life, that this is true. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. What is going on here? You thought the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites were weird. This is a covenant. It's an agreement, a solemn agreement made between God and Abram. And to help you, let me illustrate it this way. So this is my wedding ring. Well, it's not actually my wedding ring. It's, it's Sue Ellen's wedding ring that she gave to me. There's a place in a Christian marriage where the minister says something like this. What token do you bring to show the sincerity of your vows. You see, marriage is hard, so we lock ourselves in with vows. 
But we don't think of this wedding ring the way the Bible thinks of this wedding ring. The way the Bible thinks of a solemn agreement between parties is this. And this is what's happening in Genesis 15. You see, this wedding ring was forged in flame and furnace. Gold was taken and it was melted down. And then that melted down gold was poured into a mold. And that mold shaped this gold into a ring. And then it was taken by a craftsman and it was polished and it was smoothed and it was shaped until it could be worn on my finger. And in biblical covenants, here's how this would work. When I place the ring on my finger, when I placed my ring on Sue Ellen's finger, I say to her and to God, if I'm not faithful to the promises attached to this marriage, then take me to the furnace. If I'm not faithful, melt me down. If I'm unfaithful to you, burn me. That's a biblical covenant. Now, my chances of being unfaithful and my chances of divorce go way down. I mean, all it would take is for Sue Ellen to take me down to the blacksmith every few weeks and to say, Dave, here it is. This is what's going to happen. It's a biblical covenant, a biblical commitment between God and his people. And what God is saying in this covenant is, if the covenant is broken, if the covenant is broken, what you see done to these animals is what will be done to you. But that's not exactly what's said, is it? Because God doesn't say to Abram, Abram, what happens to these animals if you're unfaithful to the covenant is that they'll be, that you'll be split the way these animals are split. God says, if the covenant is not fulfilled, if the promise is not fulfilled, if eternal life is not given to you, then let it be to me that this splitting and tearing and bleeding happens. God himself takes upon himself the responsibility to fulfill the covenant. It is not a partnership. And so we come to the end of the covenant ceremony between Abram and God. And something amazing happens. And it came about when sun had set, that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. A smoking oven and a flaming torch. The picture of God's presence with Abram. God revealing himself, coming near, appearing to Abram in these physical forms. And those pass between the pieces. God is saying, if I don't do it, I'll be split. If I don't do it, I'll be cut to pieces. If I don't do it, if salvation is not accomplished by me, then I'll be cut apart. And who doesn't pass through the pieces? Abram. 
And what God says is, if I don't keep the promise, I'll be cut in pieces. And if you don't keep the promise, I'll be cut in pieces. So 2,000 years later, God would come, not in a flaming oven or a smoking smoking oven or a flaming torch, but God would come in the form of a baby and he would grow up amongst us and he would show what God is like so that when you see Jesus, you see the Father. And he would, bathe, he would follow in obedience to the Father in every step of his life until the end on the cross. When because of your disobedience to the covenant and my disobedience to the covenant, God in love caused him to be cut in pieces. God on the cross in the person of Jesus takes upon himself the consequences of our sin. He's cut apart so that we could be put back together. He is pierced for our transgression. He is separated from the Father so that we could be reconciled to the Father. He is put to death so that we could have eternal life. That is why Paul says Abram was told the gospel. And that is why Genesis 15 is one of the clearest explanations of the gospel in the Old Testament. Salvation is not a partnership. God takes upon himself the curses of the covenant so that we could receive the blessing, the promise of eternal life through Jesus. Do you have it? I wanna help you know This week, I want you to be amazed by grace. I want you to be amazed by grace. I want you to be in awe of grace. I want you, when you hear the name of Jesus, to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for so great a salvation. You did it all for me. What comes to mind when you hear that phrase, amazing grace? What comes to mind? Song, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The man who wrote that was a man named John Newton. Maybe you don't know much about John Newton, but John Newton, prior to becoming a Christian, was a slave trader. He bought men and women and sold them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton was on his slave ship. He was traveling back from Africa and their ship was caught in a storm and the ship was punctured and it was about to sink. And suddenly a piece of the cargo and the hold of the ship slid across the inside of the ship and plugged the hole and the ship was kept afloat. And John Newton said, I think God may have my attention. And he began to turn from his sin. And it took him years yet 
to completely extricate himself from the slave trade. But at the end of his life, this is what John Newton said. It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. And I want you to see a word. It is a subject of humiliating reflection. See, John Newton didn't say it is a subject of humiliating reaction. But John Newton had sat. He had sat before the Lord and he had asked the Father, Father, help me reflect upon the grossness and heinousness of my sin so that I might glory and rejoice in the greatness of my salvation. You will not become the kind of person who can respond with wisdom toward what we see happening all around us in our country without pausing to reflect upon the amazing grace of God. If you simply try to react with wisdom, you will fail. But if you'll sit before God with a willingness to be receptive to his Holy Spirit's rebuke so that you can also be receptive to his Holy Spirit's comfort, then you can be amazed by grace. The words of amazing grace are some of the most powerful and comforting words that have ever been penned, and they flowed from a heart that was truly aware of the humiliating reflection of knowing how great a sinner he had been, but how great a savior he had. And so at the end of his life, John Newton was asked what he had learned in his life with Christ, and he said two things. I know that I'm a great sinner, and I know that I have a great savior. Do you have that knowledge? Do you know that you're a great sinner, but you have a great savior? Oh, that you would take into your hearts this week the message of the gospel that salvation is not a partnership and that it would begin to well up within you a reflective love for the Father. And I want us to start now. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. And they're gonna sing for you the five verses of amazing grace and as they sing for you i want to ask you to reflect on some questions as they walk verse by verse and i want you to listen to the father in the words of this song stanza verse by verse and after we've reflected through then we'll stand together and sing but listen Verse 1, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Listen, as you listen to the worship team sing this first verse, can you reflect and honestly say before God, I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace.
And if you can't, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus now. Let's listen and meditate and reflect. on the greatness of your assurance of salvation. world. And so in this first verse, before the Father, reflect upon his care for you in every danger. for you in every need. trust in him. grace. Let's stand. Let's sing to the glory of God of his amazing grace. 
morning and you found yourself sitting there cold, run to Jesus. Ask the Father to give you a heart that is aware of your need of Christ and run to him and look to him by faith. Admit to the Father, God, I admit I'm a sinner. What Dave said about sin is true. Jesus, I believe you died for me. You're my shield. Run to him. Jesus, I commit. I want to go your way. Follow him. Help me become, God, the person you want me to be. Be my reward. Be my portion forever. And if you're here this morning and your heart was thrilled at the singing of that song because of the truth and beauty of the gospel and the wonder of Jesus, go with that. Lean into that. Rejoice. And if you found yourself weeping as a Christian over the state of your heart, but you know you know Christ, then lean into that and ask the Father to meet you in your tears. Oh, be amazed by grace this week. Be amazed by grace. Salvation, yours and mine, it's not a partnership. Let me send you out with this blessing. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in grace.